Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, real quick, we're, we're, we've been studying through the book of Luke all summer. And every week we've, we've taken an episode that Luke is showing us, that he's telling us the stories. These aren't like, hey, here was Neil's idea or any other pastor. We, we don't talk about that. We're like, these are the words of Jesus. This is Jesus instructing us. Jesus is telling us these things. And we want to know that as Christ's followers, like if you're new, we always say this, our mission is to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that, that includes everybody in the room. Wherever you're at, we, we wanna just keep moving along that scale more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so this will be one of those mornings that I think is really helpful for this, what we call this discipleship process, because this morning we're gonna talk about humility. And humility is really challenging to talk about in an American culture. Because in the American culture we say, oh yeah, that humility thing, that's really great. But we don't really reward humility in our culture. We actually reward just the opposite. We financially reward people in our culture who make a name for themselves, who point themselves out, who get noticed. We have, we have a whole culture of influencers, right, on social media. And I know I'm the grumpy old man telling people to get off my lawn, but I will tell you this, man, social media, tell me how much of social media is not, hey, check me out, hey, look at me. That's just what so much of social media is out. And if you think I'm kidding, look at social media. And then you put something like, how many likes did I get? How many people like me? How many people noticed me? We live in a really, in fact, we have a phrase in the American culture now called the humble brag. You know this, you know the humble brag. So the humble brag comes in a variety of forms. Part of the humble brag is like you'd be in a job interview and they're like, you know, uh, Neil, like we've talked, we, we like what we see and we've seen some of your strengths. Let's just talk a minute about what are your weaknesses? Oh. I mean, I guess I just work too darn hard. I don't know. I guess I just care too much. I guess I'm just so awesome to be around. It'll be hard for people to get work done. I don't, I don't, you know. And if you go online and you look at humble brag, some of the tweets are unbelievable. You know, humble brag always have, has something that's a little self-deprecating or talks a little about somehow life is hard. And then there's the brag. And, and I was just reading through some of the fun humble brags. Like one was, Man, this is unbelievable. I mean, the dealership didn't tell me how many times I was going to get pulled over because I drive a Lamborghini. Like, like that's a humble brag. And I saw a humble brag that was from a pastor. And he's a well-known pastor. And I love this guy. And his humble brag was, I'm just so grateful that my tweets can be uplifting and encouraging to so many. I appreciate all my followers, all 200,000 of you. Like, you couldn't just leave that last part off. And so I think today we're going to see not what is humility, not what do American Christians think is humility, what is biblical humility, and what's the point of biblical humility? Why would we even be interested? So in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And uh, I, I say this probably, I don't say it enough. Again, I'll, I'll repeat it. I always think it's important that you have a, a copy of a Bible that you can carry and write in and, you know, it's tactile. And so if you don't have one, you don't need to buy one. They're in the lobby. They're on the high top tables. On your way out today, just grab one. Just make sure you, you grab the right one. We have them in English and in Spanish, okay? Luke chapter 18, when you have it, I'll ask you to stand to your feet. And then again, if you're new, we always stand when we read our primary text just to acknowledge this is a word coming from God. Luke chapter 18, I'm starting to verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says this. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Here's the story. 
Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. So Father, thank you this morning for your word. God, thank you for the time we've been able to spend just worshiping you, declaring your, your, your greatness. Thank you, Lord, for the time we've had even to fellowship. Thank you that we've had an opportunity to give and to give worship in, in giving financially. And now, Lord God, in your mercy and your grace, would you just speak to us from your holy word? Would you speak to these people, to us, Father, in Bloomington in 2022? Would you speak to those who are online this morning? Would you speak your word to us clearly? We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You guys can have a seat. So we'll look at this story. We'll break this down. We'll look at this story that Jesus is telling. Keep your Bibles open. Look right at it. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 9. It said, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence, this translation says, great confidence in their own righteousness, and they scorned everyone else. Anybody? Is there a little oxymoron there? Right, this is the New King James Version. It says this, also he, Jesus, also Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Are you getting this? Like, how righteous can you be if you look at other people and despise them? Like, this is an issue. And know this, that Jesus is specifically teaching this story. He's giving this parable to that group. He is specifically speaking to the people who see themselves as very self-righteous. Now, in full disclosure, like this is one of those, like every once in a while I'm preparing for a message and I'm like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't preach that message. That hits a little close to home. I'm somebody who grew up, and you may be like me, I'm somebody who grew up in the church, been going to the church all my life, came to Christ at an early age, like just involved in the church, involved when I was in junior high, involved when I was in high school, a leader in the youth group. I went to a Christian university right? This self-righteousness thing is real for me. And, and I'm just saying, if it's me, maybe somebody else in the room is like that. Maybe there are others who said, yeah, I've been going to church all my life. I've been going to church all my life. And it's real easy for me to, to trust in my own righteousness, to have great confidence in my own righteousness. And in a way, like despise is a strong word, scorned is a strong word, but we do kind of tend to look down at other people. And so I would say, if that's you this morning, like maybe this resonates with you this morning. Maybe you can identify with me this morning. Like this is gonna be a word for us. I would also say this though, that to another population, if you're part of that group who just says, I've always felt that way. I've always felt like I wasn't, you know, spiritually very good. Like I've been, right? There's a word for you in this too. So know this, that Jesus is telling the story. It's just a story, but he's making a point. Remember Jesus, the master storyteller, right? He, he, he's gonna make this very clear to them. So here goes the story. 
He says there were two men who went to the temple to pray. They're headed to the temple and they're specifically going to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now he's just, boom, he's just split the gap here. So we know who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were religious professionals. And the Pharisees were, were people who, who started with a good intention, that the whole movement of Pharisees started with a good intention, but then they became very self-righteous. Hey, we dress right, we say the right things, we do the right things, we made sure people see us doing the right things. That's the Pharisees. And not only that, but the Pharisees as a whole tend to look down on other people. You're not as good as we are. You're not as righteous as we are. That's the Pharisees, and they're on one end of the spectrum. And then Jesus makes a point on the far other end of the spectrum, and the other end of the spectrum is the despised tax collectors. Remember this, despised tax collectors is redundant because all tax collectors were despised. Remember this, the tax collectors are Jews working from the Roman oppressors and they are extorting other Jews. They're cheating them out of money. Everybody hates the tax collectors. Nobody likes them, right? Story goes on and he says, the Pharisee, remember they're there to pray. He stands by himself. Of course he does, gotta keep a distance. Can't be with those other people. He stands by himself and here's his prayer. You ready? God, you're so good. Thank you so much that I'm not like other people. That's his prayer. Dear God, just thank you that I'm not like other people. Namely, he's talking about the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. That's who he's talking about. Dear God, it's so awesome that I'm not like them. God, you are so amazing. You are so good. I'm so thrilled that I'm not like them. And further, he says, and certainly, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Right? Now, think about this. Here's how he's praying. He's not looking at God. He's not thinking about God. He's looking around the room. Now, in full disclosure, look, this isn't a judgmental thing. I mean, it's just kind of reality. Can't you almost walk into any room and find somebody else that's not as good as you? I mean, in full disclosure, like just honestly, you just go, well, I know that dude's struggling with this. I know this gal's struggling. I'm just saying, that's what he's doing. That's how he prays. He, he, he walks in and he's looking like this. He is not looking to heaven. He's not looking to God. He's looking at people and he's feeling better about himself now because he compares himself to other people. Further, he says, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. This dude is handing God his resume Like he's job interviewing here. God, here's how awesome I am. I fast twice a week. Do you know this? That the Pharisees oftentimes fasted on the second day and the fifth day of the week. It'd be like a Monday and a Thursday. That's how they fasted. And they believed, Jews believed that when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, it was on the second day of the week. He received the law from God and he came down on the fifth day of the week. And so they oftentimes prayed on the second and the fifth days of the week. But in ancient Jewish culture, they oftentimes had the market. The market, market was held on the second and fifth day of the week. And so the country people would come in from the countryside and they would come in on the second and fifth days of the week when these guys were fasting and they would cover their face in kind of this ashy kind of white stuff and they'd wear their real disheveled clothes because these were the days where they could have the biggest audience. Like everyone would walk in and go, oh, you are something. Well, I'd, I'd like to help you. I'm a little weak right now. I've been fasting for the Lord, you know. It's the humble brag. Like that's how they behaved. That's what the Pharisees, this dude, in the, in the whole prayer for this guy, he uses the word I like five times. 
His prayer is all about I, I, I. I fast twice a week. Oh, and I give you a tenth of my income. And the, the text says of all my income, of everything. This guy is giving God his resume. That's how he goes to prayer. Then it says, but the tax collector. Remember, anytime you see the word but, I always point out it's very interesting to me. It's an adversive uh, particle, right? It always means kind of the opposite is going to happen. We saw what the Pharisee uh, was like, but, but now we're going to see the tax collector, the despised tax collector, the, the guy that everybody thinks is a no good, the guy that everybody says, oh, he's a sin. You, you remember, we talked about this story a little while ago that there were the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. The notorious sinners did not want to be lumped in with the tax collectors because the tax collectors were thought so poorly of. The notorious sinners were like, oh, we're not tax collectors, we're notorious sinners, please, don't, don't insult us like that. <laughs> but the tax collector, he stands at a distance. Again, he's away and he dared not, like there's not a chance, I cannot, I am not willing even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Like he can't look up. He's not, he's not like neither of them are looking at God. The Pharisee isn't looking at God because he's too busy looking at other people, comparing himself, making himself feel good about himself. And the tax collector doesn't look up to God because he doesn't feel he's even worthy to look up. And now how, here's how he prays. Instead, he beats his chest in sorrow. This word beats his chest, it's an ongoing thing. He didn't just like, hmm, I'm sorrowful. No, he continues to beat his chest as in like, oh, my terrible heart. He beats his chest in sorrow saying, now, now get a load of this, here's his prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner. Like, oh God, just be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Like, do, do, do you just get a picture for what the prayer of the Pharisee is? He's like, got the flowy language, right? And he's just, he knows all, and it just would have been a long, long, long prayer. And then the tax collector, the despised tax collector, he just goes, oh God, be merciful, I'm a sinner. Like he just gets right to the point. Isn't that interesting? Like that's the tax collector, the guy who's the despised one. And then it says this, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. So now he's gonna make his point. He's just finished telling the story. You know, like what's the point of his story? What exactly is he trying to communicate? Jesus says, I tell you, it's the sinner, the despised tax collector, not the Pharisee returned home justified before God, not the religious professional. This isn't the pastor. This isn't the priest. Who was it? This was the despised tax collector, the guy that we would all go, that dude is trouble. He's not good. That's the one who returned home justified. Remember his prayer? Oh God, just be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner who owns it. He knows it. He acknowledges it before God. Now, just, just hold that thought for just a minute. Just hold that thought. Ready? A couple questions. Number one, don't we ask this sometimes? How could I be declared righteous? I'm talking about by God. How is it that God would see me as righteous, as right with him, in right standing with him? How, how would that happen? How could I be fully approved of by God? I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about how is it that God would fully, 100% approve you? How is it that you could be cleared of all charges? How would that ever happen? How is it that would happen? Okay, now remember these questions. Now listen, go back to our text. That it was the sinner who went home justified. 
justified. He is now justified before God. What does that word justified mean? It means to be declared righteous, that God would declare you as righteous because you're honest in your prayer and you go, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. It means to be fully approved. It means he comes to God like that in humility and says, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And because of that, God fully approves him. It means justified means to be cleared of all charges. That's a, that's a significant statement. How is it that that could happen? Because he came to God in humility. He, he, he knows who he is. Look, here's just a thought for you. That God honors the prayers of sinners who admit it. God, God honors the prayers of sinners who own it, who acknowledge it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I always say that, that word confess, if we confess our sins, it means to agree with God. We're not telling God something he doesn't know when we confess sins. We're acknowledging with God, we're going, hey God, that was sin. I admit it, that was sin, I did wrong, right? God honors those kinds of prayers. When you and I come like that, see that's humility. When you and I come like that and we own it, and we acknowledge our sin, right? And so then the scripture goes on and Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is really crucial for followers of Christ. Man, when we try to do this, when we try to get up here, when we try to be this, God says, yeah, I'm taking you down here. And when we do this willingly on our own, followers of Christ, are you with me? When we do this, then God says, oh, I want to take you up here. I want to take you up here. The scripture is full of this. The scripture is full of this. Look at this from the book of Proverbs. The Lord mocks the mockers, but he's gracious to the humble. God is gracious. He gives beyond what you deserve. God does that for the humble. Then he says it again in James 4, 6. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He repeats this again in 1 Peter 5, 5. He repeats this exact same thing. God, give, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, this, this is what I mean. This is when I say this stuff was a challenge for me in the last three weeks as I've been putting this together. I'm like, that's smarts, right? Because what God wants is our humble hearts. God wants us to come in humility. And so let's talk about this. Like, how do we flesh this out? How does this work its way into our lives? Let's talk about what humility isn't. Humility is not you and I just simply being self-deprecating. I like self-deprecating humor. I think it's funny. That's not humility. Humility is not you and I just being doormats. It's not you and I being passive. It's not you and I being quiet. It's not you and I just necessarily deferring. That's not true biblical humility. Let's talk about what biblical humility is. What really is humility? And so let's look at a couple of things. Three things. Number one, it's an undying dependence on God's mercy. It's an undying dependence. Remember? Remember the tax collector? Oh, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. Here, here's one of the challenges that we have. We always, we always want to think like sometimes when God punishes, like, oh, God is just mean. God's just looking to zap people with a lightning bolt. No, 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 no. Back up a minute. Listen to me. God is holy. It's God's number one written about attribute. He is holy. It is the holiness of God. Now, the holiness and God being holy means this, that our sin is the deepest offense to God. Sin is the deepest offense to God because God is holy. And so when there's sin, there has to be the wrath of God. God's mercy means this. 
Dear God, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, withhold your wrath. Make a way for your wrath, oh God. I'm dependent. I cannot do this. This is simply you and your mercy, God. See, that's humility. Humility is an undying dependence on the mercy of God. I need your mercy, God. I need your mercy. I've sinned. Like, that's one thing. It's not only his undying, undying dependence, it's an unrelenting resistance of power, prestige, and position. Now, again, I'll just say this. The American culture does not financially reward this. Our culture rewards people who are pursuing power, pursuing prestige, pursuing position. Because if I move up a position, maybe that comes with more pay. Or if I, if I move up in a position, right, maybe people see me different and they think of me different and I get some respect. And biblical humility says, no, 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 we resist all of that. We resist the power. We resist the prestige. We, we resist the position, right? Actually, it's just the opposite. What we seek is to be the servant. We want to be the servant. That's not real popular in our culture. No, be awesome. Be great. Hey, be great. But part of being great is humility. And so it's an undying dependence on God's mercy. It's an unrelenting resistance of power, prestige, and position. And thirdly, it's an unapologetic acceptance of God's word. See, that's real biblical humility. It's an unapologetic acceptance of God's word. Now, this one is hard in our culture because I'll just be honest. Raise your hand if you're with me. You ever read the Bible and you don't like it? Oh, there's plenty of stuff that I read in the Bible. I'm like, that messes with me and I don't like it. What I like is what I want. And, and furthermore, sometimes the culture won't like you when you adhere to the Bible. So we're all good with the Bible until it messes with us. And then it's like, well, that's not what I think. I'm like, I'm not real concerned about what you think. I'm concerned with the Bible. And really, in true biblical humility, there's an unapologetic acceptance that says this. God knows better. God is sovereign. God is holy. God is the great creator. God, what your word says, let that be true in my life, whether I like it or not. There's an obedience there. There's an obedience that says, God, you know better. I surrender to you. I submit to you. God, that's what I want. Man, who would be our greatest example of biblical humility? Yeah, it's the Sunday school answer. You can say it, Jesus. <laughs> right? And the Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, and he was telling them this. And it's exactly what he says. He says, hey, you followers of Christ, if you're going to call yourself Christians, you have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Ah. Like, we're supposed to have that same attitude. Well, what would, what would he be talking about? Well, he'll spell it out for us. Even though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Even though he's God. Now, think about this. Jesus in heaven with the Father. And don't ask me exactly how the Trinity thing works. I mean, I believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. But Jesus is up in heaven with God, and God says, here's my plan. My plan is that you're going to go to the earth. You're going to be born in human form. You're going to experience the human experience. And Jesus was like, I don't know how to tell you this, Pop. I'm actually God. I don't think I'm good with that. <laughs> right? Like Jesus could have done that. He could have said, hey, I, I'm kind of a big deal up here. Just ask the angels. Like I'm a big deal. And I don't really have to go to the earth. 
right? But the scripture tells us what Paul says is even though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something that he could cling on to, that he could throw out in everyone's face. And in fact, it says instead he gave up his divine privileges and here's what he did. He took the humble position. Jesus always took the position as, position as servant, the humble position of a slave and he was born to be like one of us. Like that's what he did. See, that's biblical humility. Further, Paul says, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself still further in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Like even when he was here on earth, he didn't throw that out in everybody's face. Like, hey, I know you guys think this cross thing is kind of cool, but I'm God. I don't have to do that. No, Jesus humbled himself. He, he allowed them to crucify him. Now think about this. Remember this? Those people who exalt themselves, God humbles. Those people who humble themselves, God exalts them. He lifts them up. Okay, watch what happens with Jesus. Therefore, because of the way he, he lived. Therefore, God elevated him. In other words, Christ lived a humble life. Because of that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. See, those who exalt themselves get humbled. Those who humble themselves, God exalts. That is a biblical promise. When you and I live, and listen, we don't live humble brag. Well, I, I'm a little busy these days. I've been being so humble. I just, you know, no, truly humble like biblical humility. If you live that way, don't sweat it. God will exalt you. We, we can't do things with a motive of like, I'm just being nice, I'm just being humble so that God will exalt me. No, I'm talking about true biblical humility, right? Those who exalt themselves, God will humble you. Many of you are like me, we've been there, we've been humbled. And those who truly humble themselves, God will in due time exalt you. Now let me give you a story from the other side. Let me just give you the other example. Someone who is exalting themselves, right? You read in the book of 2 Chronicles, there was in about 975 BC, you know, there was the, the nation of, of Israel. And I used to always say it's, you think of it geographically like a strip of bacon. And I think that's, I don't mean to just, I'm not trying to be disrespectful for Jews. So now I say, it's like a giant chicharron. Did I say, you get that right? Chicharron, yes? Okay. So anyway, it's like this giant strip of land, right? And in, it's one nation. And in about 975 BC, it's, it's split. It's one nation, but it's split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. Judah is, is where uh, the city of Jerusalem is, right? And so uh, then about 200 years later, you have this King Amaziah. King Amaziah, he has a son. His son's name is Uzziah. And this is all during the days of Zechariah, the great prophet of the day. And uh, Uzziah becomes king then at the age of 16. He's very young. And so he needs proper mentoring. And so the prophet Zechariah has been speaking into his life and teaching him and mentoring. And we read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. It says, Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah the prophet. And Zechariah taught him to fear God, be obedient to God, honor God, live in humility under God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, as long as he was obedient to God, as long as he remained faithful to God, as, as, as long as he humbled himself, God gave him success. Th th these were the greatest days of the southern kingdom. 
Judah. These were the greatest days were under the rule of King Uzziah. That's the kind of success God gave him. Those were their days of greatest power, of greatest influence under King Uzziah. Why? Because he feared God, because he sought guidance from God. He's living in humility. But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. Have you ever seen this story? You live in humility. Because of that, God exalts you. That's the biblical principle. God will exalt you. The problem is sometimes when we get exalted, we start to look around and go, kind of a big deal. And so because of that, now he's exalting himself. And so God had to humble him. Now watch what happened here. He sinned against the Lord, his God, by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple. He walks into the temple and he personally himself was burning incense on the incense altar. No, you did not just do that. You don't do that. Only the priest at the temple would offer incense on the incense altar. This happened to some of you would remember. This happened to King Saul. When Saul was king, Saul went and made a sacrifice. Oh, he was not supposed to do that. He was supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel. The prophets, the priests, that's who offered sacrifice. And Uzziah thought he was such a big deal that he walked into the temple and he made an, a, a, an incense sacrifice on the incense altar. And the priest walks in right when he's doing that and there is a confrontation. And the priest is like, what are you doing? You are not God's priest. And he's like, well, I'm kind of a big deal and I'm the king. And they had this major confrontation and they're going back and forth, back and forth. And in the middle of the confrontation, Uzziah, King Uzziah in his face, he breaks out in leprosy. Now, we don't deal with leprosy that much because it's not really a part of our culture anymore. Uh, it's in some, there's a little bit of it here in the United States. It's more in some third world countries. But leprosy, if you, if you don't remember that, it's this great neurologic disease. And pretty soon the nerves begin to deteriorate and limbs will fall off. And if you lived in those days and you were a leper, you had to leave and you had to go live in a leper colony with other lepers. And if you're a leper and you're walking down the road and you see even in the far distance, if you see someone walking down the road, you have to step to the other side of the road and you have to out loud declare yourself a leper. Leper! Leper! Like you have to let them know. It's a humiliating lifestyle to live as a leper. It was a terrible thing, right? Well, he begins to break out in leprosy. He reigned for almost 52 years. And then it says this, and when Uzziah died, they buried him with his ancestors in a field next to the royal cemetery, not in the royal cemetery. He's buried with his ancestors, but not with royalty, not with kings, which is where he should have been buried. And the reason he did, his skin disease disqualified him from burial in the royal cemetery. Well, why did he have the skin disease? Because he tried to exalt himself. And God said, I'll humble you. I mean, I, 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 think, I think we got to remember this biblical principle. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, if we're going to follow after Christ, if we're going to pursue Christ, we have to remember, that's your big so what today. Here's the bottom line. It's right out of the Bible. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Like, we, we got to remember that. we got to think about that. Now, now, here's where I come from. First of all, I'll just be honest. I, I battle, like, uh, I, I said this a number of times. I, I significantly battle insecurity. It's just a lifelong battle for me. Pride is the opposite side of the insecurity coin. Like, I don't know if you know that. And some of you who maybe you battle insecurity too, pride is usually on the other side of that coin. And so this is one that's like, ugh, really? Do we have to talk about this, you know? 
And I'm just telling you, man, this was so good for me to hear. Listen, listen, listen. Biblical humility, when we do that, God will exalt you. But be warned, be warned, be warned. People who exalt themselves, God will humble you. God will humble you because it's in our best interest that he does so that we start getting it right. So here's where I go as a pastor of a church. Like, man, I've got to get this right. I've got to start living out biblical humility. But then I always go to this next step. What if? Because that's kind of where I live sometimes is what if? What if I started getting it right? What if I started living with real biblical humility? What if I began to humble myself? What if I, what if I really got that right? And what if our church started to get that right? Because I'm all about the mission. Like there's this American idea and we've so bought into this that it's just like, give your life to Jesus, live your life for Jesus, and then just hang out here. Just survive, just be comfortable, just be safe until we all get to go to heaven. That, that is not biblical Christianity. That is just a lie from hell. Biblical Christianity is you give your life to Christ and then you do get involved in the mission. Because absent Christ, people die and go to hell. And in particular, we say this, man, this neighborhood, this neighborhood, this neighborhood. And how are we gonna reach them? And how are you gonna reach your family members? And how are you gonna reach your neighbors? How are you gonna reach your coworkers? Because we gotta be living out the mission. Okay, what if we were living in biblical humility? What if we were living that way? Like, what if we really lived that out? How much more effective could we be at the mission? How much more effective could we be at sharing the gospel? How much more would voice would we have? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, people see you and you're a person of a gentle spirit and you're humble and they're like, Deb, I wanna hear what you got to say. I'll listen to you. You got voice with me now, brother, right? Like that just makes us more effective as the church. And I will say this, especially today. Do you know how odd, well, some of you are already odd. Do you know how odd you would be as a Christian living in humility in this culture? Like you would just have to stand out. You guys go to school and you're living in biblical humility in your schools right? And folks are just like, that's different. Tell me about that, right? You, you guys are going to work. You're in your neighborhood. We're just living out biblical humility. You have got to look different from a culture that is all about self-promotion. I'm just saying, if we're really going to be about the mission, this will, this will take our mission, right? And just like, Boom, just, 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 it'll just, it'll just give our, our, our mission a whole nother boost if we would live this way. Now, do I think it's easy? I know it's not. I, mean, I know I struggle with that. Neil likes him some Neil. Neil likes to talk about himself in the third person even, <laughs> you know, but I like me. I like promoting me. I like being about me. Right, that's the flesh. Okay, now. Biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity. So that's the big so what? Those who exalt themselves, keep that in mind. We humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, so here's what I would say is the big now what? What are we gonna do about that? Oh, sorry, I'll go another one. What we're gonna do about that is this, this week, meditate on Luke 18, 14. Meditate, we just read it. We just read it, it's the big so what? 
The meditation is this, meditate on this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, write that verse out. Put that up, verse up somewhere where you're gonna see it every day this week. When you wake up this morning, look at that verse. Think about that verse for a while. Plant that verse in your head. Dear God, give me the strength to live this out today. God, give, give, me, give me the opportunity today. Right, and the chance where you just, you just have some major chance to promote yourself. Servant, servant. Like how, how would we do that? How would we be the servant? Not a humble brag servant, just like, shh. What if we just did things anonymously? Just servant, God sees it, God sees it. Meditate on it, write that verse out. Pin it up, stick it in your mirror. Stick it somewhere where you're gonna see it, put it in your pocket. Somewhere you're gonna pull out all week, you're gonna read that. I'm telling you, our mission, our mission will advance because of this. Our mission will advance. When we behave like Christ, our mission advances. You guys stand with me. Can we uh, be dismissed in prayer this morning? It's good to worship with you, church. Hey, online, folks, we'd love that you worship with us. And we would just say, come and join us in-house sometime. Come and join us in-house. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come to the front. Prayer team. Gary, don't mess around. Just get down here, brother. Come on now. Alejandro, give him a push. Give him a push. Our prayer team is up here at the end. And the reason that they're up here at the end, man, they have a ministry and their ministry is to pray with you. And some of you need prayer. Some of you, some of you might've been in service today and you're like me and you're like, this is, this is, a, this is a tough one for me. And I'm gonna need some prayer. I'm gonna need some prayer. Miss Sharon, would you pray with me? You're gonna come up and say that, right? And some of you are gonna need some prayer because you're in a difficult life situation. Maybe you have a serious health condition and we believe this, our God is a healer. And so you need some prayer. And some of you have a serious health problem in your family. And I'm saying, if that's you, come up and get some prayer. Some of you are in a real pinch relationally. Like I know this, I know this because I talk to folks every week, right? Marriage is tough, marriage is tough. And some of you are just having some marriage problems. Come up and get prayer, right? Let's own it, let's own it, let's admit it. Some of you have, have, have just work situations, you have financial situations. When the service is over, man, get up here. Greg will pray for you, Angela will pray for you. Let them pray for you. Like, let's go to the throne of grace. Let God bless us, right? And then uh, right after the service, uh, our welcome room is right over there. Steph, wave your arm. Okay, now hop on one foot. Okay, now scream something crazy. No, okay. But that's our welcome room right out there. If you go right out those doors, Steph will be back there and other folks from the church will be back there. And we'd love it. If you're a guest, man, we'd love to meet you. So guests, I know it, it feels a little odd. No, no, no. Just head to the guest room, get a cup of coffee. We've, we've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thank you. And then come back next week. Come back next week. We're still in Luke. We're still gonna be going at this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. It's been good to be in your presence, God. We love worshiping you. We love the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for what you're doing at this church, God. Thank you for the great stories that are being told around here. Thank you for the life transformation that's happening here. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you, we love you, we love you, Father. And now, Father, here's our ask as we leave this building. Would you help us to go be the church?
to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior. Grant us that, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.